everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm very pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. From where I sit, this has been a particularly tough week or so in the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel especially acutely the brutality and the death and the pain. And at these times, I realize how important it is that you have a mythology, a narrative that can help you understand it all, that can help you place events like massive plane crashes and thousands of children standed, stranded at our, at our borders. As a society, we seem to favor the myths that tell us that people are inherently bad and self-serving, or the myths that separate the good, quote-unquote, people from the bad, quote-unquote, people, as if we aren't all complex and imperfect and capable of a great deal when we're under certain kinds of stress or feel that our survival is threatened. I also think about this quote from Joseph Campbell. It's one of my favorites. He said, quote, Life isn't meant to be happy. That's not what it's about. Ah, the damage that is caused by that attitude. All of life is sour, sorrowful. Sorrow is the essence of life. But can you handle it? Are you affirmative enough in your relationship to life to say yes, no matter what happens? End quote. Now, the way I interpret this, the task that faces us is to accept that life will always be difficult some of the time, even horrible. But to be alive in this world, even with that knowledge, is an awesome and precious experience. Last night I sat outside here in the desert and watched the sunset. And you know, it was just marvelous. The colors in the clouds, the light, the shadows on the hills. And I was so struck by the beauty and also by how incomprehensible it is that this happens, that the sun sets in this fashion evening after evening. You know, the more that I learn about the workings of what we call the natural world, And admittedly, I'm slow here. I've always been more philosopher-poet than scientist. But the more amazed and grateful I am to be here. Miracles truly are all around. As Westerners, we live in a very heroic culture. It's all about what the human individual can do, what we can make happen, what we can overcome. And part of the heroic creed in a heroic culture, is the expectation that everything can be improved. I'm not sure how we would improve on a sunset. But a corollary of that is this obsession with self-improvement, coupled with the belief that if you're not always happy and continuously feeling satisfied, you have a problem that can and should be solved. If you're not happy do something, as if happiness was our natural state, 
as if, in fact, happiness was what we deserve. And this dissatisfaction with the world and then with ourselves can easily become perfectionism or denial. We often insist on too much or too little, especially from ourselves. But in that quote from Campbell, you see that he willingly admits and embraces the inherent dangers and sorrows of life. Now, he always imagined life as an adventure, as a quest, and he calls the goal of a perfect life in a perfect world into question. Campbell's call to adventure can end in bliss or fiasco, and the hero's journey which we so often imagine to always describe the arc of success, is a series of deaths. It's a series of deaths. It's something that we might fail at. And no matter whether we succeed or fail, our journey ultimately culminates in the greatest mystery of all, death. So yeah, life is full of grief and loss, and yet we need to learn how to live fully and deeply day to day. Mythologies historically have helped people to do that. And many of us, myself included, may not have a mythology to turn to that fully resolves this problem, and yet each of us still faces the problem of reconciling our consciousness to death and accepting the relationship between life and death. Of all of the things that we suffer, certainly death is the most challenging. (laughs) And yet there would be no life without death. Campbell used to say, life feeds on life. And our mythologies have to handle that fact. Now, when Campbell talked about this, he said that there were three categories or attitudes, mythological attitudes. The first one is life-affirming. That's reflected in the uh, quote that I gave you earlier. In a life-affirming mythology, you come to be able to say yes to all of it, even the horror. And this is what's seen in many so-called primitive hunting cultures. The second category that he identified is life-negating, and the example that he gave is Buddhism. But it's any kind of mythology where the overarching idea is that the world, the world that we're suffering in, isn't real. And then there's the attitude of conditional affirmation, in which you assume that the basic conditions of life can and should be changed, and when they are changed, then you'll accept it. According to Campbell, all of our modern Western mythologies, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Marxism, all of them revolve around the notion that we're restoring the good society. And of course, the fact that each one of them claim to be the sole vehicle to this good society is a huge problem. And we see the disastrous results of the fundamentalism that produces all around us. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not religious, so okay, great. Well, your consciousness is still very much shaped by these religious mythologies, whether you like it or not. 
But there is a secular form of this conditional yes, and it's the myth of progress. And the myth that feeds self-improvement, it's a myth that animates many of our popular self-help messages. Somehow we have this idea that the evolution, whether you imagine it to be an evolution in technology or consciousness or both, that this evolution towards something higher or better will mean a life without sorrow or loss. But as long as we're living in a world where everything dies, how is that possible? If you love something and you lose it, mm, I don't know. Now, paradoxically, I think if you understand the necessity of grief and the inevitability of pain, you can live with it and find meaning in it and move on. Being detached doesn't mean not caring. It means being able to take the good with the bad. And in that state, you may even make an art of it. The pain and the sorrow can become part of your celebration of life. Now, the story that I'm going to tell today is a Blackfoot myth about the buffalo, and it is an example of a life-affirming mythology. It provides a way for people to accept all of it, death and killing, and the fact that life feeds on life, and find beauty and sacredness and connection in that reality. The fact that this whole question of a life-affirming mythology and grappling with death is an abstraction, just a, a notion for so many of us, is a very essential problem. And yet, there are many opportunities for us to get close to the reality of death as it happens all around us. So the question becomes, do we dare? And do we dare to feel it? One more piece I want to throw out for you before I tell the story today. A few years ago, I heard author and poet Dina Metzger read some of her work in the space that's now the Radio Free Joshua Tree Listening Lounge. Then it was the Red Arrow Gallery. And many thanks to Cheryl Montel for the marvelous um, Red Arrow Reads program that she put on. And, and that was how Metzger came out here. Anyway... A lot of her work, Dina Metzger's, speaks directly to killing and suffering of many types. And in the course of this reading, someone in the audience asked her how she could go so deeply into those experiences and come out whole. Part of her answer to that question still rings in my ears. She said, you have to look very closely at everything and not turn away. You will see the pain and horror, but you will see the beauty too. All right, now I invite you to sit back and relax and listen to the Blackfoot myth of the buffalo dance. Take note of the moments that grab you or the character that you most relate to, as this is good information if you want to reflect on this theme in your own life right now. The Blackfoot tribes lived out on the vast grassland plains, and in order to feed themselves and acquire food for the winter, the people would drive large numbers of buffalo over a cliff and then kill the animals at the bottom and harvest their meat and skins. 
Now, one year, there was an unfortunate tribe that couldn't seem to get the buffalo to go over the cliff. Time and again, they drove the animals to the very edge, but at the last moment, the buffalo would swerve and turn aside and run along the edges of the cliff back to safety. Now, this was a terrible situation for the people. They were facing winter and the prospect of starvation. One day, a young woman of the tribe went to get water for her family. She looked at the cliff and the buffalo, and she said, If one of you would just go over the cliff, if you would just go over, then I would marry one of you. And suddenly, to her tremendous astonishment, the herd of buffalo poured over the cliff face. And this girl watched in shock as a distinguished-looking buffalo, the leader of the herd, then came trotting over to her and said, Okay, off we go, my dear girl. You will be my wife, and I will be your husband. The girl protested that she couldn't possibly leave her family, and she offered up a bunch of excuses. But the head buffalo gestured to all of the dead buffalo at the foot of the cliff and said, All of my relatives lay dead at the base of the cliff. We have kept our word, and now you must keep yours. A deal had been made, and so the young woman was compelled to honor it. The next morning, her family woke up to find that the young woman was gone. And her father looked at the tracks outside all around the camp and around their tent and saw that she had gone off with a buffalo. So he set out after her. He walked and he walked and he walked and he walked, and he sat down at some point to rest. And after a while, a magpie came and visited him. What are you looking for? asked the bird. And the father said that he was searching for his daughter. The magpie said, Ah, you know, I I think I saw your daughter. She's not too far away. And she is with the buffalo. Well, would you mind taking a message to her then? asked the father, and the bird agreed to do this. So the father said, Please tell my daughter to meet me at the buffalo wallow. The magpie flew off, the magpie, there we go, flew off and went to the buffalo herd and landed on the ground near the daughter. And she saw the bird and the bird saw her. And he hopped a little bit closer and she watched him. And then suddenly there was a point where the girl was close enough to the bird, and she leaned down, and the magpie delivered his message. Now, this young woman was very desperate to see her father, but she knew that they were in a very dangerous situation. Her buffalo husband was quite large and powerful, and he was not going to let her go willingly. So she sat there thinking, and she started to devise a plan for how she might get to the buffalo wallow. But then her buffalo husband unwittingly offered her 
an opportunity. He'd been taking a nap, and he woke up and stretched a little bit, and he turned to the girl, and he said, Wife, go down to the wallow and bring me back some water. And so, of course, she agreed, and she picked up the pail, and she hurried off to the wallow and her waiting father. When the young woman arrived, she told her father what had happened with the buffalo and the cliff. And he was immediately concerned for her safety and tried to convince her to go away back to the tribe with him. But the young woman was afraid. I can't leave, she told her dad, and you really must go before the buffalo find you. But unfortunately, it was a little bit too late for such caution. The buffalo husband sensed that something was up. Maybe she was gone a few minutes too long. We don't know. But in any event, he gathered the rest of the herd together, and they all went down to the wallow. And there they found the girl and her father. The buffalo made a mighty, mighty sound. And then they danced and danced and danced together. And they rushed into the wallow. And they trampled the young woman's father to death. He was ground up into such small pieces that he disappeared entirely into the earth. The young woman began to cry. Now, Why are you crying? asked her buffalo husband. Why, because he is my father, she said. And what about us? the buffalo replied. Our families, our children, wives, parents, sisters, brothers, are all dead at the bottom of your cliff. And who mourns for us? Well, the girl continued to cry and cry. And at last the buffalo said, Look, if you can bring your father back to life, both of you can go free. You can go home to your people. Well, she didn't have very much to work with since her father was ground up so good. But the magpie hopped around and helped the young woman to find a small piece of her father's bone. She took this bone and covered it with a blanket on the ground. And then she sang a magical song. The buffalo stood around watching and listening. The bone under the blanket grew and grew and grew until it was the size and shape of a man. The girl kept singing and after some more time, her father came back to life. Now the buffalo were completely amazed. The head buffalo, the buffalo husband, said to the young woman, if you know how to do this, then why don't you do it for us? You know, she said, I will. I will do that for you. And so then the buffalo showed the girl their magical buffalo dance and their song And they asked her to teach it to her people so that they could bring the buffalo back and maintain the cycle of life. The girl and her father 
took the buffalo's request back to their people, and forever afterwards everyone danced and sang to bring the buffalo back to life. This story demonstrates a willingness to die, a pact between those who will eat and those who are eaten that's based in the knowledge that we're all going to be in both of those positions at some point or another. And I just love the value of life and the emotional feeling and the feeling of family that's expressed in this notion of the buffalo. One of the things that distresses me a great deal is the way that we treat the plants and in particular the animals that we eat. And I know that it's popular to say that this notion of a talking buffalo that would have feelings and would care about its spouse being killed is not part of our factory farming paradigm. But what kind of world would we live in if it were? One of the things that I sense in this story is a sense of of awe. There's a sense that all of this is important and magical, and there's a reverence. There's a reverence in the singing and the dancing, in the bringing back to life, in the conversation and the communion between the buffalo people and the human beings. And awe is the source of meaning. That's one of the first functions of mythology. I think Campbell said that too. To be a guide to mystical experience, which is an experience that allows us to have an expanded sense of self, to understand that we are connected. That is something that's largely shut off in our society, but many of us are looking for it. And the fact that so many of us are looking for it and reviving and engaging with various means of finding it is one of the things that makes me feel optimistic and hopeful. That expanded sense of self, by the way, is part of the conversation about synchronicity. And I've been interviewing people on this program who are going to be presenting their work with the notion of synchronicity and psyche and matter at the symposium that's happening here in Joshua Tree in September. And it's that larger expanded sense of self, expanded consciousness, that I find particularly intriguing and exciting about synchronicity. So saying yes to life and accepting it all means accepting and integrating not just everything in life, but everything in the whole self, too. In this long introduction I gave you, I was connecting self-help and dogmas of self-improvement with this dissatisfaction with an imperfect world. Accepting the world as it is and accepting ourselves as we are requires compassion. And compassion is the source of any real authenticity and power to live fully. I think I'm going to stop there because I have been giving you uh, a lot of speechifying in this program. I want to share one of my favorite 
Mary Oliver poems with you that I think also speaks to this problem of accepting the imperfect world. The poem is called In Blackwater Woods, and I've found it in the collection that's called New and Selected Poems, and it's by Mary Oliver. In Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends upon it, and when the time comes, to let it go. Now, Robert Bly taught me the great advantage of reading a poem twice. So let me give that to you again so that you have a real opportunity to absorb it. In Blackwater Woods Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds, and every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things, to love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let it go, to let it go. Now, I'm not sure if one poem constitutes a mythology, but whatever mythologies I develop to help me live through times like these and face my own personal challenges, Mary Oliver will be part of it. (laughs) So, that's it for me today, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or check out the new website that I've created for the program at www.mythinthemojave.com. You can contact me through that site. You can also contact me through my main website, mythicmojo, mythicmojo.com. I'd like to remind you that Radio Free Joshua Tree and Myth in the Mojave are made possible by generous donations from Mojave Wi-Fi, Joshua Treats Ice Cream, Pappy and Harriet's, Petersburg Realty, and listeners like you. I would very much appreciate it if you would head over to our website, www.rfjt.org, and click on the Donate button. You know, since we're talking about internet radio, 
I hope that you are aware of what's going on in this battle between uh, over internet rights and the Verizon and Comcast and you know some of these big corporations that are trying to get the FCC to allow them to create a fast track for the people who have money and a not-so-fast track for the rest of us. Don't let big companies and big money take away your right to the Internet. You can make a comment to the FCC very easily by going to some of us, that's S-U-M, someofus.org, and signing their petition or using their platform to say no to corporate-controlled Internet. Let's keep the Internet a place where individuals and communities with a wide range of causes and without the big bucks necessarily, can find community and share inspiration and information. I'd like to say special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and to you most of all for listening. Please tune in next week. I hope you have a safe and satisfying week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life.